Hello and welcome to another in these studies about the subject of our Lord Jesus Christ's return to this planet. And most people will have heard of the Antichrist and that's what I'd like to explain today. Every generation of Christians has thought that they knew who the Antichrist was or is. In the early church they were quite convinced it was Nero, the first persecuting emperor of Rome. In the 6th century, they thought it was Muhammad, allegedly the final prophet of Allah. In the 12th century, the finger was pointed at Saladin, the Sultan of Egypt and Syria. And the Pope, you may remember, launched the Crusades against him, which had done so much harm. In the 16th century, the Protestants pointed the finger at the Pope and said that the Pope was the Antichrist. And the Pope pointed the finger back and said, oh, it's Martin Luther who's the Antichrist. You may have heard of Spencer Percival in the 19th century. Spencer Percival is the only Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to have been assassinated while in office. He was shot in the lobby of the House of Commons. He was a committed Christian and he was totally convinced that Napoleon was the Antichrist. In the 20th century we had people queuing up for this status. The Kaiser, Mussolini, Hitler, Stalin. In 1975, I can remember the referendum on the common market, which we now call the European Union. And the common market at that time was based on the Treaty of Rome, and there were six signatories. If the United Kingdom joined, we, we would become the seventh. Aha, they said, Revelation chapter 17, the seven heads of the dragon on the seven hills. This is Rome. If we join the common market, we will be joining the Antichrist. And in our own century, the finger is now being pointed at Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un or President Xi. We'll say more about that later. But every generation has had its own bogeyman and has thought that their bogeyman was the final Antichrist. Let's go back to this book. Let's go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Firstly, I need to explain the word anti can mean against as in anti-racist or anti-vaxxers, but it can also mean in the place of, instead of. So when we speak of the Antichrist, we're speaking of somebody who is against Jesus, but also exalts themselves in order to replace Jesus and be treated as if they were the Christ. Now the word itself is only ever to be found in one, two books in the Bible, both written by John, in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 18, he wrote, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And in chapter 4, verse 2, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. And also in 2 John, only one chapter, verse 7, many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Those are the only five occasions when this word is used in the Bible. What then does the Antichrist do? He denies that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus isn't the Messiah. He denies the authority of Jesus. He says that Jesus is not from God. And so he denies the person of Jesus. And he does not acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And so he denies the incarnation of Jesus. He denies the fact that in Christ... God is fully here on earth as a human being. Now remember the parable of the stage, the foreground and the background. We have a wonderful example of this in the Antichrist because John says the Antichrist has already come. So in the foreground at the front of the stage, he is saying the Antichrist was in the world in those days when he was writing that letter. Even now, many antichrists have come, he said. The antichrist, even now, is already in the world. So in one sense, the antichrist is, is here already, but also the antichrist is still to come. In the background, the antichrist is expected to come towards the end of time. You have heard that the antichrist is coming. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you have heard is coming. So John tells us that on the one hand the Antichrist is already here, but in another sense the Antichrist is still to come. The Antichrist is a past reality, he is a present reality, and he is a future reality. Now Paul speaks about the Antichrist in another name. And nearly all Bible scholars agree that the Antichrist of John is the same person as the man of lawlessness of Paul, who he describes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendour of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. 
For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. What John calls the Antichrist, we believe Paul is calling the man of lawlessness or the lawless man, or I call him the outlaw. The outlaw hates law. He holds it in contempt and he loves to create anarchy and destruction. God's law, religious law, moral law, national law, international law, everything is held in contempt and despised except the laws which protect his own status and which exalt him to the divine level. And some Christians in Thessalonica were believing false reports that Jesus had returned. But Jesus had not returned. Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false prophets and false Christs will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Paul says, no, Jesus won't return until the outlaw is revealed. And the first thing he says about the man of lawlessness, he's doomed to destruction. He has no hope of success. His doom is to be destroyed. How will that destruction take place? In verse 8, it says, Jesus will, <laughs> Jesus will breathe on him and destroy him by the breath of his mouth and the splendour of his coming. Meanwhile, what would the outlaw be doing? In verse 4, he will oppose God and everything to do with God. He will forbid worship. He will set himself up as God and demand worship of himself. And Paul tells us the lawless man is already at work. Now this letter, Thessalonians, was written around about the year 51. He's saying the lawless man is already up to his tricks. But he's being held back. Now what is holding him back? There are at least five theories to explain what is holding back the lawless one. I'm not going to go into them and I'm not going to take a side. But remember the stage. In the foreground, the lawless one is already here, but in the background, the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed in the last days. When the one who is restraining him lets him go, there will be a a major rebellion. And there will be a supreme and final effort of Satan to prevail against God. And evil will reach a crescendo of final violence and sinfulness. Satan will have a field day. The rebellion will occur and satanic counterfeit miracles will be seen. Every sort of evil will be let loose. And Satan is the power behind the outlaw. But in verse 10 he tells us those who are perishing will embrace the lie and be deluded by the Antichrist and be condemned for not believing the truth. Satan will have a field day. The rebellion will occur and there will be counterfeit satanic miracles and signs. Every sort of evil will be let loose upon the earth. And the power behind the Antichrist, the power behind the outlaw is Satan. And those who are perishing will embrace the lie and be deluded by the Antichrist and be condemned for not believing the truth. And then Jesus will breathe on him and destroy the outlaw. So the Antichrist is already here. 
but the Antichrist is going to come. The man of lawlessness is already here, but one day his power will be released and he will be able to exercise his power without restraint during the time of rebellion. But we come to a third name for the Antichrist when we come to the book of Revelation. And this name is the Beast or the Monster. And it's been found in chapter 13 of Revelation, which I'll read the first half to you. And the dragon, that's the devil, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Those who have ears, let them hear. If any are to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If any are to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Let me read how William Hendrickson describes that scene. John notices that the dragon goes to the seashore in order to summon help. The dragon, accordingly, must be viewed as standing at a place where sea and land meet. On one side is the sea, on the other the land. The first ally comes up out of the sea. The apostle beholds a monster of indescribable horror coming up out of the sea. Very gradually, the beast emerges out of the water. First, John sees nothing but the horns. There are ten of them, covered with diadems. Next, the heads appear. This beast has seven heads, and on these heads are names of blasphemy. The body now comes to view. It is that, that of a leopard, large and fierce, swift to spring upon its prey. Now the beast is stepping out of the water. John sees its feet. They are the feet of a bear. It is ready to rend and tear, anxious with its great and terrible feet to crush its enemy. As the mouth is the main point of the figure, it is mentioned last. This horrible beast has the mouth of a lion, growling and roaring. It is eager for its prey, anxious to destroy. To this monster, the dragon gives his power and authority. I think Netflix would enjoy making a scenario of those images, do you not? Satan is on the shore and this monster 
this beast emerges from the sea. Now in Jewish culture, the Jews tended to be terrified of the sea. They saw the Mediterranean Sea as being uncontrollable, dangerous, threatening. There were monsters in it, monsters huge enough to swallow a prophet. And no one knew what was at the other end. They didn't know about the Rock of Gibraltar. And in Daniel chapter 7, he had seen a vision of four beasts coming out of the sea, representing four kingdoms, Babylonia, Persia, Greece and Rome. And now John sees one single monster. The four monsters of Daniel rolled into one. The stuff of nightmares. Now don't look out of your window and expect to see this monstrous beast in your back garden one evening. This is symbolic. It's symbolic of the Antichrist. It's symbolic of the outlaw, the man of lawlessness. He has ten horns. Think of the hippo and the strength in that one horn on his snout. This beast has many horns. He's very powerful. He has seven heads. He's a very clever ruler. And he has ten crowns. He loves conquering. He loves reigning over kingdoms. Remember the rider on the red horse? He's blasphemous. He loves to be worshipped. No one can beat him in a fight. He's proud. He slanders God and everything to do with God. He makes war against God's people. He has authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. Everyone will worship him except those whose names are written in the Lamb's life register. John warns us, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. He's saying to the church, be ready for persecution. Be ready for death. Be ready for a time of terrible trouble when this beast appears. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. But there is good news. The good news is that his influence will be time-limited. Time-limited to 42 months. Who then is this beast? Who is this monster? Now remember, the first people who received this book, round about the year 95, who lived in northern Turkey, they would have understood what John was writing. He wasn't writing about something that would happen thousands of years later, which would baffle them entirely. They had some idea of the meaning of what John was writing. So he says, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Now in the foreground, remember Nero. Remember the great fire of Rome, the arrests that were made, the Christians who were set on fire, the believers who had pitch poured over them and then turned into a torch. The people were put into the Colosseum in, covered in animal skins to fight dogs or to, to, to um, fight with lions. Remember crucifying, the crucifying of Paul and of Peter following the great fire of Rome. It was a terrible time, but Nero who had exacted that persecution, had died, he had committed suicide in AD 68. But there was a widespread rumour that he would come back to life, that he would return, that he who seemed to have a fatal wound, the fatal wound would be healed, that Nero would be restored. And here we are in the year 95 AD, when this book, Revelation, 
is written and being distributed, a new emperor called Domitian, who is demanding to be called God's son. Dominus et Deus Noster. You all know your Latin. Our Lord and our God. If you didn't say Domitian is our Lord and our God, you refuse to say so on the threat of your life. And he invoked a new vicious persecution against the church. It was as if Nero had returned. The beast that had received a fatal wound had been healed. And Nero is back in the person of Domitian. That's how it seemed to them. We thought the beast had died with Nero's suicide, but oh no, he's back with Domitian and the other emperors. For Daniel, this beast were the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans. But now it's Nero. Oh no, it's not Nero. It's Nero come back in the form of Domitian who is ruling and demanding that we worship him as Lord and God. For John, the beast is any political system which won't tolerate allegiance to Jesus. And the first of those was Rome. So in the foreground we have Rome persecuting the church but in the background we have subsequent political systems which won't tolerate Jesus dictators who try to wipe out the church think of jihadist Islam think of Soviet communism think of Afghanistan today think of Kim Jong-un in North Korea think increasingly of President Xi in China and indeed in India where to be an Indian now, you're supposed to be a Hindu. Antichrists who are trying to wipe out the name of Jesus, destroy the gospel and persecute the church. This beast is about control. This leopard wants to dominate everyone within sight. And these dictators who think they are tantamount to God, who blaspheme God, and yet demand unwavering obedience. These dictators who are warmongers, who hate laws, who hate peace, they just want one law to prevail, obey me. They persecute those whose first allegiance is to Jesus. And one day, these animals they, 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 they will coalesce into one person. The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the beast will coalesce into one person, one system which gains authority and power over every tribe, people, language and nation. When all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast and all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb, only they will be saved. You see, what we're seeing today is that there are three figures who are probably the same. The Antichrist of John is the man of lawlessness of Paul, is the beast from the sea of John. An Antichrist is to come, like a Roman emperor who demands to be worshipped, who denies that Jesus Christ is who he is, who denies that Jesus Christ has come from God, who denies the incarnation, who hates any laws except laws which exalt their own glory and their own power. And antichrists who will persecute and kill anyone who does not acknowledge the authority of them, but does acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ. They just want to wipe them all out 
That's what antichrists do. They want to dominate every tribe, people, language and nation. And the antichrists were present in New Testament times. They've been present throughout the church age and one day they will coalesce into one terrifying person or system before the very end comes. But there is some good news. His time will be limited. The Lord Jesus will destroy him by blowing on him by the breath of his mouth. And all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will be ultimately saved. Meanwhile, therefore, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Next time, I'll have some bad news and some good news for you. The bad news will be, there's a second beast who is just as bad as the first one who we've talked about today. He has a mark and he has a number, 666. The good news is, both their beasts will get their comeuppance at the Battle of Armageddon. <laughs>